This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Brian Downing, card number 331. Brian Downing, DH outfielder for the... California Angels. And Brian Downing is episode 100 of the 1988 Tops podcast. So before we go any further, we just want to thank all of our listeners. Thank all of you who have submitted card requests, links and follow-up, corrections, statements of appreciation, and complaints of all kinds. We really appreciate all the input and that you listen and no better reflection of the 1988 Tops podcast than to do our 100th episode and have it be a not-quite-superstar guy who made one all-star game, but has a really interesting story. Definitely, and we will get to that in, in just a minute, but we do have some other follow-up from a previous episode, and there was follow-up from Danny Heap. In the Danny Heap episode, we talked about an incident where Danny Heap was arguing a call at first base, and it allowed Phil Garner to score from second base while Danny was arguing with the ump, and we had asked guest Mark Simon if there was some kind of statistical analysis he could do, if there was uh, a new stat that could be created for an error that leads to a run. I was listening to an episode of the Effectively Wild podcast recently, and they raised the term fart slam. And Matt, I think you have heard of the toot bland, the toot bland mm. being thrown out on the base paths like a nincompoop. <laughs> that's a good one the fart slam is fielder allows runner to score like a moron <laughs> that sounds perfect sounds perfectly appropriate for what happened in danny heap's situation although it although instant replay would have overturned the call and called him out and ended the inning and not allowed the run to score so danny heap was justified but all the same Back then, there was an instant replay, so arguing the call with the ump, totally useless, allowing him to score on a fart slam. So we got to figure out fart slams above replacement. I look forward to that deep statistical dive that we'll do on the fart slam in future episodes with our stat heads around the world, so thanks for finding that. One other piece of follow-up that we have, many of you know that for months, I have been looking for a new mascot to follow after... The disappearance of Nasuno Sakana from the Chibalote Marines. Nasuno Sakana, the mystery fish who evolved to his final form after being a singer and DJ and then turning into some kind of cosmic fish who has left forever with the mysterious line, glub, glub. But now we have a new contender for official mascot for the pod, and that is Hoodie the Space. Hoodie the <laughs> This is... Yeah, and that is Hoodie, Hoodie the Space, who is the new mascot for the Hanwha Eagles. This mascot was teased in a video, and friend of the show, at Painted Cap, referred this video to us. In the video teasing this new Hanwha Eagles mascot, there is a little man flying a spaceship... This person in the spaceship watches a video of a Hanwha Eagles player hitting into a double play, and they become so enraged that 
they change from a tiny white character into a now yellow-eyed, angry character with a orange hoodie with little devil horns who becomes obsessed with the Hanwha Eagles and incredibly excited about everything that is happening in these baseball games as they fly through space. Yeah, he's a baseball-shaped alien who all of a sudden assumes this form of a orange-hooded creature, then flies his spaceship to the ballpark and falls out of the spaceship, lands on the field, and is greeted by a little mini baseball-shaped eagle who is the other mascot for the eagles. Then we have some video that is the new mascot hoodie throwing out the first pitch at an Eagles game. And David, how would you describe Hoodie's form here as he attempts to throw the first pitch? Hoodie doesn't have hands. (laughs) Hoodie has tiny little ball hands. So Hoodie cannot hold the ball with a single hand. So they use both. Uh, You know what, Matt, this is a throwback to Andy Hawkins throwing Grandma's potato salad. Mm. It would be kind of like throwing a bowl of potato salad. Just kind of chucking the ball with both hands, kind of straight into the grass. Yeah. And then looking very angry about it because that is the only facial expression that Hoodie the Space can make. Hoodie's incredibly angry. The ears, the face, the scowl he's got. Yeah, he, he attempts with his two kind of stud... Stud arms, he grasps the ball, does a 180 when he attempts his windup. He's fully facing center field and then tries to whip around in a 180 to throw the pitch. He misses it by about 45 degrees uh, to the right, but it's a good effort. I think a good effort for his first pitch, and I'm sure that as the season progresses that he'll just get better with that form. I would be interested. You know, I don't know if this is going to be a recurring hoodie the space check-in, I don't know what kind of antics Hoodie the Space is going to get up to. Maybe Hoodie the Space will start like a a metal band or a screamo band. He's he's very angry, but maybe he will also have new forms. But, you know, we'll see. And hopefully one of those forms allows Hoodie to play baseball. Maybe that's why they're so angry. Only time will tell. But meanwhile, we're, we're just glad to finally have a team in the Korean Baseball League and the KBO to follow. Also, it will stretch the translation function on my Google Translate and perhaps even Duolingo, depending on where this goes. So thank you, Andrew at Painted Cap, for sending that along. But now let's go to today's card from the major leagues, and that is Brian Downing. And why did we select Brian today? Brian Downing was a suggestion from listener Alan on Facebook. On a recent post, Alan just wrote the words, Brian Downing, exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) That works. We have Brian 10 Downing Street, as Chris Berman would say, or my Chris Berman-esque nickname for him, The Brian Downing Mystery, starring Tom Bosley. Hmm. My main memory of Brian Downing as a kid was going to Comiskey Park. And as we walked into the old Comiskey Park, there was this painting on the wall as you walk up one of the ramps. And when I was a kid, I would ask my dad who certain numbers were. And my dad had what I thought was a unnatural ability to remember all of these numbers. He knew all of the numbers of the Blackhawks retired and 
random guys who everyone else had forgotten, and the same with the White Sox. And so I pointed at this painting, and it, it was a the players on the field at Comiskey Park, and it was clearly a little bit older than the mid-80s when we were there. And I just said, who's that at the plate? And my dad, without hesitation, just said, oh, that's Brian Downing. As I got older, I don't think it was Brian Downing. I don't think Brian Downing would have even been on that team. But in my mind, Brian Downing was in this painting. And because of that, Brian Downing must have been a great White Sox player. Otherwise, why would he be immortalized in this painting at Comiskey Park? Turns out my dad might have just been making it up. Remembered a guy, got me to shut up for... 10 minutes, and then we walk to our seats. That said, from what I've learned, Brian Downing, he was fine when he was on the White Sox, but probably not anything that you would immortalize on the wall. But when he was with the Angels, Brian Downing was a pretty amazing success story. Really underrated career, and a career that really didn't take off until he was in his 30s. He was much better in his 30s than in his 20s. A lot of that success stemmed from his time in the weight room, which earned him a nickname, the Incredible Hulk. Brian Downing went on to have a 20-year career that we will get into shortly, but pretty remarkable individual. Well, that sounds like a great show to me. So let's go to the front of 331, and here we have Brian Downing at the plate. He's a right-handed hitter. It's a beautiful day in Southern California. I can see the Incredible Hulk just in his left arm arm. It is very muscular. He is staring intently at the pitcher. He's got some pretty impressive eye black. This doesn't really show Brian Downing's batting stance, which I think by this point was a little bit more closed up. But early in his Angels tenure, he had a very open, wide stance that allowed him to get a good head-on view of the pitcher. And it does show he's muscular, He doesn't look huge. He was an early adopter of weightlifting as a training tool, which hadn't really been used too much in baseball. It was thought that weightlifting would actually slow down a batter's reflexes or make them too bulky to hit the ball well or swing the bat quickly. He looks big, but a little bit generic, I think, in this this picture. And I included a picture here, Matt, from around this time. Of Brian with a friend. Yeah, here we have we have Brian Downing in that same uniform, the White Angels uniform, with another famous Californian, or should I say Californian, Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is some kind of promotional card. And in the picture, Brian Downing is on the right. He's put his arm on the shoulder of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is has arms just as, well, maybe let's say a little bit bigger than Brian Downing's, and he has snapped a bat in half, and they're just kind of chuckling at the scene. I thought it was interesting to compare the size of these guys. Brian Downing doesn't look like a weightlifter completely on this card, you know, particularly when we get into the 90s, early 2000s, and the size of baseball players, chemically enhanced or otherwise, is just remarkable and with Brian Downing you have a guy who just he looks big but then to see him next to Arnold Schwarzenegger he doesn't actually look that much smaller than Schwarzenegger he compares relatively favorably we've seen plenty of skinny hitters and pitchers on these cards and Downing looks athletic I would say and I don't think that there is any listeners can correct me if I'm wrong here 
indication that Downing was juicing or, or chemically enhanced, but he started his weightlifting much earlier than everybody else. So I, I'd be interested if, if anybody else has, has a different opinion on that, but I don't think there's any indication that Brian Downing was using performance-enhancing drugs. He was just an incredibly determined individual, as evidenced by his facial expression here, staring down the pitcher. <laughs> I like that look. Like the uniform, like everything about it. So let's flip to the back of 331. And here we have Brian Downing, DH and outfielder. He is 5'10", 190, right-handed batter and thrower. Signed by the White Sox in 1969 as a free agent. Born October 9th, 1950 in Los Angeles, California, with a home in Yorba Linda, California. There's a lot of tiny print on this card. Lots of stats. One weird fun fact. And 15 seasons of statistics. Brian was born in Los Angeles, but raised in Anaheim, where he went to Magnolia High School. Other famous alumni from Magnolia High School include former U.S. men's national team player Michael Orozco and Tony Cadena, the lead singer of the seminal L.A. punk band The Adolescents. As a kid, Brian Downing loved baseball. At nine years old, he went to Game 3 of the 1959 World Series where the Dodgers played the White Sox at the L.A. Coliseum, and he said, from that day on, I gave everything I had to making it. He would practice by hitting bottle caps with a plastic bat. He was a small kid and, and pretty shy. He never spoke up in class. One story said that his parents wouldn't sign his permission slip for him to take driver's ed lessons, and so he didn't get a driver's license until he was 23 years old. Rarely spoke up in school, just a small, shy kid, about 5'8", 160. But his early passion for baseball didn't really translate into stardom or even what would look like a baseball career. Unlike a lot of the guys that we talk about, this isn't a multi-sport prodigy. He barely played baseball at Magnolia High School. He played on the varsity team only as a senior. He went to nearby Cypress College. Other players from, from Cypress include Dwayne Bice, Trevor Hoffman, and Todd Blylevin, son of Bert. Todd was the son who acted heroically in the Las Vegas shooting, as detailed by Jeff Snyder in the Mike Sosha episode. While at Cyprus, Brian Downing walked onto the team, but barely played in one season. And so that should be the end of our story, right? Yeah, I mean, doesn't really play in high school, doesn't play in his junior college. And then the Vietnam War happens. So... In 1969, the minor league roles of many teams were thinned out because of the draft and the war in Vietnam. And so the White Sox held an open tryout. And here comes a 19-year-old kid who's not even playing junior college ball, hadn't learned to drive, hadn't been on a date. This is a late bloomer, let's say, in many ways. And he showed up and hits a single off of Southern California, future major league pitcher, Al, the mad Hungarian Roboski. There was a scout, Bill Lentini, who was there. He was maybe the only person impressed by Brian Downing. The scouting report that he filed said that Downing hit 333 at Cypress College. And that was accurate, but Downing only had three at-bats that season with one hit. <laughs> Lentini liked Downing because he could play any position. He even was a pitcher when he was younger, and he was aggressive and loved to play. I also read that Downing and Lentini might have been neighbors, and so Lentini just liked this kid. Like, let's give him a shot. 
another positive here, they're just trying to fill up a team, and Brian Downing would sign for nothing. The White Sox signed him in August of 1969. Because he signed so late, he didn't play in the 1969 season, and his first season in the minors was 1970. Playing for nothing sounds like the perfect attribute that the White Sox are looking for often through the years, but he signs and begins in the minor leagues. In rookie league, he wasn't very impressive. He hit 219, but he played catcher in some outfield. And so in 1971, he was in A ball in Appleton, Wisconsin, and would just play wherever the Sox had an opening catcher, third base, outfield. He improved at the plate, hit 246, not not spectacular, but improving, and he did have 55 walks, so his on-base percentage 100 points higher than his average gets called up to double-A. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. The Sox minor league system must have still been very thin because Brian earns another call-up without doing anything particularly impressive. The Sox might have also just known that Downing is up to the challenge. When he gets to double-A Knoxville, he hits 278. He adds some power, 15 home runs, 24 doubles, has an 856 OPS while at double-A. That actually, for the first time, is an impressive stat line that earns him a spot at triple-A starting 1973. And he ends up getting promoted to the big leagues at the end of May. And that takes us to the fun fact that Brian belted 25 home runs with 130 RBIs in 336 minor league games. It doesn't really give us a complete understanding of Brian's trip through the minors where he wasn't particularly good and then had one good year where a majority of those home runs came. But he was good enough in 1973 to earn a short call up at the end of May from AAA Iowa. In his first game, he comes in in the seventh inning on May 31st, playing third base. And if you look at the baseball reference box score, it shows that the first batter hit a foul ball caught by the third baseman. Immediately afterwards, Brian Downing is replaced. What it doesn't say is Downing chased that ball down in foul territory, fell into the dugout, went sliding down the steps, and injured his knee on the first play of his major league career. He ends up sitting out for the next two months and returns in mid-August. So a really the highest of highs and lowest of lows for Brian Downing in that first game. And shortly after returning, August 11th, he gets his first major league hit, and it was an inside-the-park home run. (laughs) He hit an inside-the-park home run off of Mickey Lolich. And Brian Downing, as we said, a catcher, third baseman, Not known for his speed, particularly after coming back from an injured knee. So that is unique. And I I read somewhere that this was the first first hit for an inside-the-park home run since 1945. So it had been almost 30 years since that had happened. On the year, he only hit 178 in 34 games. He did have one other home run that year. In 1974, though, he makes the team out of spring training as a backup catcher, splitting time behind the plate and in the outfield. And David, this takes us to a really amazing picture, which is his look with the White Sox. I've been thinking about this photo all week because I can't decide if this is one of the coolest guys or one of the least cool guys ever. If you put this same outfit on Dickie Allen, Dick Allen would look like the coolest guy 
Brian Downing has very poofy hair. <laughs> He's wearing the zip-up. It looks like a onesie. The zip-up light blue Chicago White Sox with the red script jersey from the early to mid-70s. He has the red batting helmet that looks like you could get ice cream out of it. He also has some chips sunglasses. Don't ever trust a guy wearing sunglasses like that. Mm-hmm. His mouth is agape, <laughs> as though he is confused. Yeah. A slight wispy mustache and some bozo-esque hair. He was looking good. This is a good look. <laughs> it is. I have some very strong I have some questions for the White Sox in their blue and red uniform for the Chicago White Sox. I mean, I understand that this is the onesie version and not the <laughs> maybe not the regulation uh, version. Uh, also, I like in this picture you can see the palm trees in the back. So maybe this was just a spring training look. But yeah, aviators, a red helmet, and big red poofy hair. It's it's uh, pretty impressive. And you can't really see the weightlifter. The weightlifting has not started yet. And at this point, Brian was a relatively small catcher. He was 5'10", 160, still around that size that he was in high school. So a relatively undersized catcher. And he was okay at the plate during this time. He hit 225 with 10 home runs. It doesn't look great on paper, particularly compared to his time with the Angels, but it was okay for a catcher at the time and good enough to convince the White Sox that Downing should be their starter going into 1975. In 1975, he had what would look today to be a subpar statistical season, 240, seven homers and 13 steals. But compared to the rest of the league, it is, it's a good season. It's good for an offensive war of 3.0, which was eighth among catchers in 1975. And on defense, he was second in putouts, third in assists, and threw out 42% of would-be base stealers. That's a, that's a very good season for, for a catcher in 1975. In 1976, the Sox kept him as the starter at catcher as he hit 256 with only three home runs. And the Sox start looking around thinking maybe they can get more at that position. In 1977, he loses his starting position to Jim Essien, and he became expendable. The Sox put him on the trade market, and they ended up trading Downing and two young pitchers, Chris Knapp and David Frost, to the Angels for Bobby Bonds, smooth-singing outfielder Thad Bosley, not Tom Bosley, and a pitching prospect with an intriguing backstory, Richard Dodson. We've talked about this trade a couple times now. Brian Downing was not necessarily a key part of this trade. He was thrown in. He was at this point a 27-year-old catcher with a okay track record. He hadn't felt entirely comfortable in Chicago. The media put a lot of pressure on him, and, and he felt some pressure from the fans to perform in Chicago. And he was going back home to Anaheim. He was immediately made the starting catcher, and he was okay still trying to bring his average up and establish himself. He said that he was really obsessed with getting to 285, getting to a 285 batting average. But instead, by the end of his first season, he fell down to 255. So he's 28 going into the last year of his contract, and he didn't really feel like he was playing as well as he as he could be playing. After that first year with the Angels in 1978, Brian decides that he needs to make a couple changes if he's going to keep this career going. 
both physically and at the plate, he decided to make some pretty important changes. First, physically, we've mentioned that he was an early adopter of weightlifting, and this is the year that it really took off. He built muscle and bulked up his 155-pound frame. You see on the card that we mentioned that he was 190 in 1987. So this is the first year that he starts that increase. He also installed a batting cage at home and experimented with different stances because he was, wasn't happy with his hitting performance and felt like he could make some improvements. He had always worn glasses, even behind the plate, and he tried contacts, but they didn't work for him either. And since his glasses limited his peripheral vision, he decided he needed to do something to change his stance to give him a better shot at seeing the ball. So he develops this open stance as a right-handed batter. He put his left foot all the way toward the third baseline. He had his hands up near his head and is just staring straight head on at the pitcher. And that gave him a better vision of, of when the ball is released. As he steps into his swing, he brings his foot toward home plate. And that change in stance, that bulking up really worked. He had a monster season. He earned his first and only All-Star appearance. He had career highs with a 326 average, which was good for a third in the American League, and a really good 142 OPS+. In that All-Star game in 1979, there was a highlight involving Brian Downing. He singled in his only plate appearance, was moved along to second, and then tried to score on a line drive single that was hit right at Dave Parker. And this mostly is a Dave Parker a Cobra highlight here. Parker catches the ball on one bounce, throws a rocket to Gary Carter. Just an amazing throw. And also Gary Carter blocks Brian Downing from reaching the plate. And Downing just missed sliding under the tag. He went inside the baseline to try to go around the tag and just missed getting his hand on the plate. But a, a really an amazing throw by Dave Parker. But regardless of that incident, Brian's fantastic year helped the Angels make the postseason for the first time in franchise history. He earned a few MVP votes, finishing 14th. He then went 3-for-15 in the ALCS as the Orioles defeated the Angels in four games. In 1980, he kept up that weightlifting. This is where he earned the nickname the Incredible Hulk for his physique, weighing in at 200 pounds. In an interview in 1980, he said that he had watched the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary Pumping Iron and that he was, quote, fired up to go out and work out, which sounds awesome, and was ready to repeat that 1979 success, then promptly got injured nine games into the season. He returned later in the year, but only played 30 games in 1980. In 1981, the strike and some other health issues limited his effectiveness. He was also moved to the outfield to protect that ankle that he had injured previously. He stops his run at catcher at that point. Now he's over 30 and coming off a couple seasons of reduced effectiveness. For many other players, we would see, oh, this is about when he would start his decline. Instead, this is the first of probably 10 good years for Brian Downing. He's going to go on until 1992, and this is 1982. He's able to finally kind of turn that that muscle into home run power, hitting 28 home runs and driving in 84. He also played 158 games, so his durability is back after some difficult seasons. And remarkably, he's also the Angels' leadoff man. 
in 146 of those games. This was ahead of the times. Downing had two steals on the year, but he got on base a lot. 281 average plus 86 walks. His OPS in 1982 was a fantastic 850. Just a strange leadoff man. You know, the, the Angels later would have Gary Pettis and Speedsters at the top of that order, but in 1982 they had Brian Downing. And he played well enough in left field after that switch. He didn't make any errors. The Angels again won the AL West, but lost in the ALCS, with Downing hitting only 158 in that series. 1983, he had some injuries and only played in 113 games, but still hit 19 home runs that year. And from 1984 to 86, he was just very consistent, 150 games every season, averaging 21 homers, 90 RBIs, and a 268 average, OPS plus of 125 over those three seasons. And he also made a cultural splash, David, in 1985. He was on an episode of The Jeffersons. This episode was called The Unnatural, and it is available on Amazon Prime. In this episode of The Jeffersons, George Jefferson drops a home run ball hit by Reggie Jackson. He gets booed and jeered by the crowd. So Wheezy somehow gets into the Angels' locker room to try to convince Reggie Jackson that he should help George get his spirits up. Instead, she runs into a nude Mike Witt and a shirtless Brian Downing. I don't know who greenlit this episode, but this is, I think, like the 11th <laughs> season of the Jeffersons. They were just, yeah, 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 bring in the, the California Angels. Yeah, bring Brian Downing. Get him shirtless. <laughs> this is a, a whole new type of jumping the shark would be <laughs> a, a nude Mike Witt. <laughs> Wait, and I guess this also shows... We talked about Brian Downing being painfully shy when he's younger, and now he's on national TV, ripped and shirtless, talking to Wheezy Jefferson, uh, being almost like a sex symbol, a cultural touchstone, really. You know, Reggie Jackson is one thing. Brian Downing is entirely different. 1986, perhaps inspired by that Jefferson's appearance, Downing, Reggie, and the Angels move on up. To the playoffs, winning 92 games and winning the AL West. Downing had a typically good year, 267, 20 home runs. In that playoff series against the Red Sox, the Angels are up three games to one, one out away from a trip to the World Series for the first time in club history. And then Dave Henderson hits a home run off Donnie Moore to put Boston in the lead, ultimately winning that game in extra innings. The Angels would lose the next two games. Boston would go on to the World Series. For his part, Downing was okay in the series. He hit only 222, but drove in seven runs. He also made an outstanding catch in that Game 5 loss, saving a couple runs with a leaping grab in left field in what would turn out to be an ultimately disappointing loss in Game 5. A heartbreaking turn for the Angels losing after being up three games to one. But as a consolation prize because they won the AL West, they earned that critical spot in RBI baseball. And that means it's time for us to go back to the RBI baseball corner with Brian. And we are back in the RBI corner. Brian, welcome back to the show. And we are here to talk about Brian Downing and the California Angels. Great to be back. Love to talk about Brian Downing and love to talk about the Angels. 
so Brian, I think that Don Sutton is the only angel that we've discussed so far. Are the angels any good? Yes, the angels are terrific. Uh, if you go back to the Don Sutton episode, you'll note that while I talked about the fact that the team is very good, I do not find their uniforms very good. The gaudy cobalt blue magenta uniforms, those are pretty hideous. But the team itself is actually great. Uh, they're one of the top three regular teams, i.e. non-all-star teams, along with Boston and Detroit. Now, outside of Gary Pettis, they're not a fast team, but they have great power up and down the lineup. One of the most powerful teams in RBA baseball, and this is, a, this is a game where you want to have that home run power. And they also have an absolute superstar, Reggie Jackson, maybe the best player in the game. Insofar as their pitching is concerned, it has unusual endurance, and it's more finesse than velocity. You don't have really the hard throwers like you have on some other teams, but that's okay. Finesse usually plays pretty well in RBI baseball, and as long as you can curve the ball in and out, you're better off. Now, sadly, while their bench is very strong, it does not feature Tony Danza, uh, nor does it feature Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Adrian Brody, or Matthew McConaughey, or any of the other angels in the outfield, although I believe some of the bench players are, in fact, outfielders. I, I guess one can assume that that's because Angels of the Outfield was released in 1994, well after RBI Baseball was released. But back to Brian Downing, is he any good? Now, he's not quite as good as uh, Sarah Downing, the star of WB's Dead Last in Roswell, but he is pretty good. Uh, he's a right-handed bat with decent power. He's kind of slow, but he's a good hitter with good power who, for instance, if he were on Houston, would be tied for the best power on that team along with Glenn Davis. One way to think of him is he's kind of like Jeffrey Leonard, but without the speed. Now, in this Angels lineup, he's the number five hitter. That means he's hitting behind Reggie Jackson. And as Reggie Jackson is, again, maybe the best player in RBI baseball, there's a lot of times that you're batting with no one on base when you're batting with Brian Downing, and you can't move him up and down the lineup. Now, you might be subbing in at the number six spot, the great Rupert Jones after him, so we can score a lot of runs because we know that Rupert Jones loves to hit home runs in RBI baseball. So will you always play Brian Downing? Absolutely. I think you have to keep Brian Downing in the lineup. He's one of the better players in the Angels. There are substitutions you want to make with the California Angels. You probably want to get Bobby Gritch out of the lineup, and you want to make room for Rupert Jones, and you probably want to make that team more left-handed with some of the left-handed bats. But Downing is not one of the players I would take out. I would keep Brian Downing in the lineup and go ahead and play with him uh, if you're playing with the California Angels. Makes sense. Well, thank you for the analysis. And even though Tony Danza isn't in the game or on the show, when you ask who's the boss, Brian, you're the boss. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time. And we're back. In 1987, the last line on this card, and the only black ink for Brian, he, he led the league with 106 walks. He tied with Dwight Evans, and he was also second in baseball with 17 hit-by-pitches. But a very good year overall for the 36-year-old. A career-high 29 home runs and a 137 OPS+. plus. He was DH in a majority of games in 1987, and after this season, he would only play DH. Still a very good hitter, still has a few years left in him. He follows up that 87 season with 25 home runs in 1988. His power dropped a little bit in 89, only 14 home runs, but still hitting 283. And finally, in 1990, he had some injuries, and those injuries limited him to only 96 games. He's about to turn 40 that October, and he's in the last year of his contract. He still wanted to play, though. This is a guy who has shown throughout his career 
an extreme level of determination. And for some reason, the angels questioned his commitment. Brian said he only asked for one thing. Just give me advance warning of my last at bat. And the angels didn't give it to him. Going into the last series of the season, Angels manager Doug Rader said he would only use players who, quote, cared about this club and their teammates. And he didn't put Brian Downing in the, in the lineup, not even on Fan Appreciation Day. In the ninth inning of the last game of the season, they asked Brian if he wanted to come up and pinch hit, and he said no. Really kind of shocking turn there after 13 seasons. Downing led the Angels franchise in so many of their offensive categories. Many of these records have been surpassed since that time, but at that point, he was at the top of the leaderboard in hits, walks, doubles, home runs, RBIs. And yet, after the 1990 season, the Angels didn't offer him a new contract. They said it was just a business decision. This is an aging, sometimes injured star, and his best years were beyond him. If you look at what the Angels did in the next couple seasons with their DH spot, it's not like they brought in somebody younger. I think that they brought in Dave Winfield to do this this job. They could have just kept Brian Downing around. It seemed like there was some kind of issue or some kind of dispute. But Downing took this really hard, and it took a very long time for his hurt feelings to heal. Initially, no other team approached him over the winter, and he said he was preparing for a, quote, alternative lifestyle of riding his motorcycle up and down the Pacific coast, which sounds very nice. Sure does. But his plans are interrupted because the Rangers call in March of 1991 and offer him a one-year deal. Without even playing in spring training, he joins the team and hits 278 with 17 home runs, a 132 OPS plus. So good bit of business by the Rangers there. 1992, his final year, despite missing some time due to injury, 41 years old, he hits 278 again, 10 home runs, a 138 OPS plus. So just uh, an on-base machine. In that final game of the 1992 season, Downing is with the Rangers and they're playing at Anaheim. And Downing had indicated before the game that this was going to be his last game, very likely. He batted second in the order against Burt Blylevin. And in his first at bat, he got a single. He was removed for a pinch hitter, received a standing ovation from the Anaheim crowd, and players on both benches gave him a standing ovation. And that was the end of his career and closing the book on Brian Downing. Final line of 20 seasons in the major leagues, 2,099 hits, 275 home runs, a 267 average. But if you add in 1,200 walks, his career OPS plus was 122. He's 63rd all-time in walks and had a career fielding percentage of 995 as a left fielder. So how about in retirement? Downing stayed away from Major League Baseball. He and his wife Cheryl lived a quiet life in Salina, Texas. He said this was a football town and nobody really knew who he was. So he didn't really get bothered much and he just hung out on his farm with chickens, geese, and pigs. He had two sons who played baseball. One actually played in the Angels and Tigers minor league systems. But Brian stayed away from the Angels. He was asked often to come back for events, and he always declined. He was still really bitter about that 1990 snub. He wanted to end his career as an Angel. He didn't ever want to play against them. But then in 2000, 
There was an online fan poll of the greatest players in Angels history, and the fans voted Brian onto that all-time Angels team. There was a ceremony. Brian and his wife Cheryl drove their RV 26 hours to Anaheim, and Cheryl did a lot of the planning for this and didn't tell Brian that there would be a speech, and she knew that he wouldn't go along with it if if he knew that was the case. At a press conference prior to the on-field ceremony, Brian said that the only reason he came was because the fans voted for him. Their opinion is the only one that counts. On the field, they show this video of Brian's career highlights, home runs, him diving into walls. There's a huge standing ovation. The fans knew at the time that he hadn't been back in years. When he's handed the mic to say a few words, all he said was, I was pushed out two years too soon. Even on the field with all this applause, he's still bitter and mad at the Angels, but not at the fans. In 2009, he is invited back, and this time for the Angels' highest honor. He and teammate Chuck Finley were going to be inducted into the Angels' Hall of Fame, and Brian accepted quickly. He was happy to go back for this honor. He was inducted into the Angels' Hall of Fame, where he joined Bobby Gritch, Nolan Ryan, Rod Carew, Don Baylor, and Jim Fergosi. He's still all over that Angels franchise leaderboard, now behind names like Tim Salmon, Garrett Anderson, and Mike Trout. But Brian Downing is often listed on all-time Angels lists, now 30 years after his retirement. So quite a story, and your dad had seen him and thought that maybe he was a picture in, in, in some painting, and that being your first memory. Now learning about what his career was, what do we think about him? Brian Downing has a remarkable story. His high school and college teammates years later would tell him, how did you ever make it to the big leagues? You were terrible. You couldn't play. And Downing said he stayed hungry because of things that have happened his whole life. It's been like this for me since my childhood. I never had anything to give me much confidence from about 12 years old on. I still go back to a lot of things that happened earlier to me. Being put down, being overlooked, that's still part of it for me, and it always will be. And he really used this rejection and fear as a motivator. And in a 1991 Tribune article, it said that Downing's greatest fear was if he stopped moving, someone would end the dream and send him home. He bet on himself, and he bet that if he put the work in, he would succeed. Maybe more than anybody that we've talked about, you have a guy here who recreated his body, (laughs) recreated his game, moved from catcher to the outfield to DH, and was successful, more successful as he went along. He went against common baseball thinking of the time and bulked up. He's really just a self-made player. He didn't have the immediately visible natural ability, and he used that fear of rejection and fear of failure to just reinvent his game. He always had a good eye for the ball, but he even worked constantly to improve that, culminating in this 1987 line where he led the league in walks while hitting 29 home runs. He had no chance to make the big leagues. And it was really through only his own hard work that he crafted this 20-year career. And he's better in his 30s than he was in his 20s. In 1998, he only got two Hall of Fame votes. Two. Just imagine if he had peaked with the White Sox prior to being 29 years old. If you add in a couple seasons of 150 hits, he's up into the 2,500 hit range. 
couple more seasons of 25 home runs, gets him up closer to 400, maybe he would have had a decent Hall of Fame case. His Hall of Stats rating, thank you to past guest Adam Dorowski's great Hall of Stats site, is 92. He's close, but he falls just short of the 100 that he needs for Hall of Stats immortality. (laughs) But as far as compliments go, Maybe no greater one than from Reggie Jackson, who said, if you put Brian Downing's heart in a lion, the lion would be tougher for it. Brian Downing's just a self-made player and a guy who refused to settle. In Angels and Jefferson's Legend, and he said himself, I have to play every day like it's my last one. I'm not sure when this will all fall apart, but I know every day I get is one more than I thought I was going to get. Just a remarkable story. A great one to hear. So thank you for that, David. Thank you to Alan for the request. And thank you to you at home. If you've moved on up to the east side and finally got your piece of the pie, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.